Acts chapter 2 is where we're at once again tonight. We'll be looking at several different places, uh, verses of Scripture, places in the Bible. Encourage you to follow along there in your Bible. And uh, tonight we're continuing on a series we've been looking at entitled The Church Ablaze. Just amazing to see the, the New Testament church there as uh, we see the very beginning and um, how it grew and, and uh, we've been taking our time. I hope, I hope I'm not going too slow. Um, you know, this is something when, when we're doing a Bible study, trying to go verse by verse, really trying to get as much as we can. There's going to be some things as we go through this that are going to be familiar to you, but I'm hoping to give enough meat where you're going to be able to find some things that at least will whet your appetite. Hang on a second. Let me turn this thing where it stops making that noise. Um, but whet your appetite, hopefully some things that perhaps that you would learn through it if, and, uh, or just to reaffirm, um, to build our faith. Um, a lot of the preaching that I do um, is uh, topical. And so Wednesday night's really trying to do uh, expository. Um, I hope it's not too dry for you. If it's too dry for you, you, you know, it's difficult to be able to do the Word of God and study verse by verse. You really need to pay attention to get plugged in. And I will also say this, and I look around and I see many people, you've been here many times, to, to be part of doing a series when you miss something, it, it's a building block. It's things that you're missing. I try to go back and review, but it's important. And I would just encourage you to be faithful to the study. Um, otherwise, it's, you're walking in, in the middle of things, and it makes it more difficult. Um, and so it, that would help. Well, let's look here at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Let's go ahead and read it once again, and uh, then we'll review what we looked at last week. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together, and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed, and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And now, and how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? Um, and then the, the next verses that list all the different places around uh, the known world, people that were there, uh, giving a kind of a scope of all the different places. I want to jump down, if you would, um, to verse number 11. Um, and it says that we do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others, mocking, said, these men are full of new wine. And so there's an important question that we see there in verse number 12 that says, what meaneth this? And just to review a little bit, you remember, here we are, we're the, this, what we're reading here took place there in Jerusalem. And on this particular day, we, 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 if you had been there that day, you would have probably asked the same question. I mean, can you imagine, they're talking about the fact that they were Galileans, they um, they, they obviously were, were speaking in their language, and people were hearing it in their own language, and it, it would have been, what's going on? How, how am I able to hear this? Remember the time frame that this took place, at the, the uh, Feast of Pentecost. It, it, it would have been um, um, during the, after, uh, after May, um, um, it probably would have been toward the beginning of June. It had been a nice, nicer out. There would have been people from all over the known world at that time. Um, it would have been a perfect time for the descent of the Holy Spirit of God. 
Pentecost, uh, remember, as we reviewed, was a fulfillment of prophecy. And so when we look at Acts chapter 2, it's a very um, uh, pivotal uh, chapter um, when we look at the Word of God, when we look at the church. And we need to be very careful that we understand what Pentecost is all about. The Greek word Pentecost, it literally means what? Do anybody remember? What's the word mean? Pentecost. Anybody? Remember from last week? 50 days is what it means. It simply means 50 days because it took place 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits, which followed the Passover. And so to kind of build the foundation to understand what Pentecost was all about, last week we, we went back to Leviticus chapter 23 and we, we looked at the three different feasts that are listed there. I'm not gonna, we're not going to go and, and read them tonight. We're not going to look at it, but I just want to mention them very quickly um, and briefly tonight. Um, first of all, we looked at the Feast of Passover. And I think everybody here tonight knows what the Feast of Passover was. Um, and so the, the, the Feast of the Passover um, was remembering how that God had delivered them, how the blood was shed, how the blood was applied, all of that being a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, the Apostle Paul, he said in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, he says, for even Christ, our Passover is sacrificed for us. And so, it, it, as it says there on the screen, there in that verse, and we know that Jesus Christ, he became our atoning sacrifice. He was the propitiation for our sins. And so Paul spoke of Christ as our Passover. So there's the Feast of Passover. Secondly is the Feast of First Fruits. The Feast of First Fruits, that's in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 9 through 14. Um, this feast was on the day after the Sabbath following the Passover. What is the day after Sabbath? I asked this last week just to see if you're plugged in. What's the day after Sabbath? What? Sunday, very good. What day is Sabbath? Saturday, good. All right, making sure we understand. Anybody disagree with that? Raise your hand tonight. Am I, am I, am I throwing something wrong out here? Because you're not saying anything, Randy. And yes. Yeah, that's a different Sabbath, but we're talking about the, the, the Sabbath within, within the week, the, the Sabbath or the day after Sabbath. And it would be the day after the, 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 um, the first day after would have been the Sabbath, which would be the first day of the week. And so it was the, first, the Feast of First Fruits. Um, it happened on the day after the Sabbath following the Passover, the, the Sunday after the Passover is what we're talking about here. And so the, the Feast of First Fruits is a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of these feasts that we see, all of these things that they were to remember, were all foreshadowing of what Christ was going to come to fulfill. And then the third feast that we looked at, Leviticus chapter 23, verses 15 through 16, was the Feast of Harvest. Of Harvest. And so 50 days after the, fe the Feast of First Fruits came the Feast of Harvest. Um, and so it's called, it, it, it really, Exodus 23, 16 speaks about it too, but it um, it ushered in the harvesting period. This feast is also known as Pentecost. Um, that's what we, we're looking at here in Acts chapter 2. And so uh, last week I summarized and said that the Son, the Lord Jesus, honored the Passover by dying. The Father honored the, first, uh, the feast of first fruits by raising Christ from the dead. The Holy Spirit honored the feast of the harvest by coming on the disciples of Christ as they waited on, on, on the Holy Spirit there in Jerusalem. And so the Holy Spirit came on that day of Pentecost for what reason? To fulfill prophecy. It was all a fulfillment of prophecy. It was all foretold. This was something that God had, had, had given us in prophecy, and that specific day took place. Now, did, did the Holy Spirit come on the day of Pentecost because the disciples had obeyed God? No. No. 
He told them to tarry. He told them to wait. He told them where to wait in Jerusalem. But that's not why the Holy Spirit came. We made point of this last week to make sure that we understand that the Holy Spirit being given it, the day of Pentecost was not a result of what the disciples did. It was a result of what God had promised. It was prophecy being fulfilled. And so um, we, need, we need to be careful that some people, they, tr they try to say that they tarried there, and that's what we need to do to tarry, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk more about that in just a little bit. But God had planned for him to come on that day, the Holy Spirit to come. It was a day that was a fulfillment of prophecy. And so that appointed day arrived, the Holy Spirit came. And now in Acts chapter 2, um, we see here what, what many would call the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God. Um, and there's a lot of difference in opinion surrounding the subject of being baptized with the Spirit of God. Um, unfortunately, some teach that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a distinct work of the Holy Spirit beyond and separate uh, from the, in addition to, our salvation. Something that happened after salvation. And they teach that even today. They also believe that certain physical manifestations take place. What is one of them that they say is a manifestation of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, that some would say, the speaking in tongues, right? Speaking in tongues. Um, and there was other ones that we talked about last week, but the main one is speaking in tongues. And, and so we see what's happening here, and so we ask the question, is that really what's going on here? Um, and so when, when we have a question, what should we do? If there seems to be a difference of what people believe, where should we go to find the answer? The Word of God, exactly right. Go to Scripture, not on what somebody else's experience was, not on what somebody else says, but what does the Word of God say? And so it's important that we do that. And so our subject tonight, we're continuing on, is what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Last week, we looked at the first point. We looked at the promise made of this baptism. The promise made. There's a number of passages that speak about the Holy Spirit coming, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, um, and the, the promise being made. And the first one we looked at, or group of them, was at the commencement of Christ's ministry. Who was the one that, that said much about Jesus Christ baptizing you with the Holy Ghost and with fire? Who was the one that actually proclaimed that truth at there at the very early in the Gospels? We see that. Yes, Rodney. That's right, John the Baptist. We looked at it in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. Um, Matthew, you can go ahead and just throw it up there real quick. Um, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. Um, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And then in Mark chapter 1, verse 8, I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And then Luke 3.16, Jesus answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And then in John 1.33, and I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And so it was a sign that John was looking for, for who the Messiah would be that was going to baptize with the Holy Ghost. And of course, we know that was Jesus Christ. And so it's very clear from these passages that baptism of the Holy Spirit was something that had not yet happened. We can see that. Ba water baptism had, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it had not happened. And so there was a promise that was made, though, um, at, at the commencement of Christ's ministry. And then secondly, the promise was made at the conclusions of Christ's ministry. Acts chapter 1, verse 5, you can look back there one page um, where we're at right there. Look at verse number 5. We see there what Christ said. He says, for, truly, for John truly baptized with water, 
But ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And so it's very interesting that Christ, he made this promise. And there's several things about this promise that we, we looked at last week. I'm just going to say them very quickly. First of all, the baptism that Christ spoke of was to be experienced by all and not some. It was not to, be a, uh, to just these people here, but to all that were saved. Secondly, the baptism was yet to be. It was future tense at this time. It wasn't something that had already happened. All right. Thirdly, this baptism was limited to a point of time. And when I say that, it was, in other words, it was going to happen not many days hence. Uh, there was going to come a time it was going to happen. It hadn't happened yet. And so in all five of these passages, the announcement is prophetic. So there's no baptism of the Holy Spirit previous to the Lord's ascension. That's where we left off last week. And so I want to pick up there. We saw the promise made of this baptism. I want to go to, to point number two tonight and spend some time on this, and it's this. There's a problem that's raised by this baptism. Let's look at some of them. The problem that's raised by this. Now, when I say problem, I'm not saying problem because the word of God isn't true. I'm not saying problem because God created a problem. I'm talking about a problem because people misinterpret the scripture. And it's, it's created division. There's, there are problems about these that people misinterpret. And so if the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a subsequent second blessing, then why did the apostles receive the Spirit seven years or se- uh, years, several years after they were saved? That's what the Pentecostals will say. People that want to try to say that this is a second thing. They'll say, if it's not subsequent to after salvation, then why did the apostles not receive the Holy Spirit till years after they were saved? Hmm. Now, if you're not astute, if you're not a, a student of the Word of God, that's the type of thing that will trip you up. And that's why we're doing studies like this. That's why I think it's important that we do. We need to be well equipped. We need to know what the Word of God says. But they'll use that and say, well, hey, they, the disciples, were they not saved? Yes, of course they were. Well, then why hadn't they received the Holy Spirit? Now, if, you're, if you understand what the Word of God says, you know, it's an easy answer, but there's, there's, they can trip you up with this. You see, there's two main views in relation to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The first view is this. It's the baptism of the Spirit is an operation of the Spirit distinct from and additional to His regenerating work, which is to be sought and obtained by the believer. Most charismatics... Many Pentecostals accept this view, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens at some point after salvation. They also believe that the baptism of the Spirit is something that Christians must seek. They are seeking after it. They are praying for it. Now remember, we went back and we looked at the prayer meeting there in Acts chapter 1. We spent a couple weeks looking at it. They weren't praying for it. They weren't seeking after it. They were being obedient to what Christ had told them to tarry. But they, that's not why they were having the prayer meeting that they had. Uh, that was not the purpose of it at all. And so yet they, there are many that say, and I say this many, I'm talking about charismatics and, and many that would follow that, that way of teaching, that, that the baptism of the Spirit is something that we have to seek after. And the notion that one gets at one point in, uh, uh, um, the baptism and the Spirit later is often referred to as this doctrine. It's the doctrine of subsequence. The doctrine of subsequence. Now, listen, there are people that believe that. There's churches in this town that believe what I just shared with you. The doctrine of subsequence. They believe that it's something that happens after salvation. So that's the first view. The second view is this. That the baptism of the Spirit is an event occurring at the same time with the reception of Christ. 
which is never repeated and never to be sought. It's not something that happens again and again and again in your life. It's not something that you seek. Now remember, we need to make, make, be very careful with words. Is there a difference between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit having all of you or being filled with the Spirit? Is there a difference between the two? Yeah, big difference. We have to be careful with what words that we use. Sometimes I'm, I make a mistake with the word I use and I try to correct it. But when it comes to this, we need to be so careful that we don't intertwine the being baptized in the Spirit or being baptized by the Spirit and being filled by the Spirit. They're a difference. And so we need to understand that there's a big difference between that and there are people that look at it differently. So the first view says that baptism is after conversion. The second view says that baptism is at conversion. Well, here's one of the problems. Here's our problem. Let's think about it. If the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a subsequent blessing, then why did the apostles receive the Spirit years after they were saved? I already posed that question. All right, so we need to answer it. And this is an absolutely crucial uh, problem and one that we have to look at in the light of what the Scripture teaches us. So let's examine it. Let's look at it. And the first thing I want us to notice is the experience of the disciples at Pentecost. Let's look at what happened there. We're in Acts chapter 2. And we, we understanding that we, the charismatics, they attempt to support their doctrine of subsequent, that is that you get salvation at one point and baptism later. They, they try to really focus in on the, Acts chapter 2 as being the reason why. Let's look at verses 1 through 4 once again. Look at it. Notice what it says. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And sudden there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. And the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, Pentecostals, they point out that the apostles and the other disciples who experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they, then they began to speak in tongues. And those that received that at that moment had already been saved. Now, that's true. You can't argue that point. They were already saved. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, we, we see there that the disciples that are mentioned in chapter 2, um, I believe that they were saved. There's now at least most of them, if not all of them. And I say that because only God really knew their heart. But we have to look at what is salvation. So what is salvation? What is it? What is it being saved? I mean, let's go back to the Old Testament for a moment. How did people get saved in the Old Testament? Yeah, what, but, but what accounted unto them? Faith, believing. Faith. Yeah, by faith. They weren't saved by works any more than we are. They were saved by faith the same way that we are. And so there's no question, did the disciples or the apostles, did they believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, that he was who he said he was? Yes, they did. There's no question about that. We know that. And it's interesting that when we looked at the prayer meeting, it's talking about 120 were in that upper room and that as they were gathered there. And I believe that they were either all saved or most of them were. And if they weren't, only God would know that. They professed salvation, though. When I say profess, they profess they believe. Otherwise, why would they be in that room? Uh, they'd have been running away. They'd have been hiding. They'd have been afraid. They were believers. Christ told his, uh, his apostles in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, he said, Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Christ had already said they were. 
I believe that they, they were saved. There's no doubt that I believe that they were, uh, Christ is affirming their salvation. And there, there's other instances of that we, could, we can see. But these disciples, they knew and trusted Christ. So here's the question. When did they get saved? What did they believe in? Yes. Now this is where it gets sticky. You ready for a trip? So I, somebody either quote or stand up and read Romans chapter 10, 9, 10, and 13. Brother Randy, you want to go ahead and do it? I know you're on the tip of your tongue. Yeah, that's all right. For whosoever. Good. All right, so what do we say is required for a person to come to know Christ as their Savior? What, what do we say today? That they must what? Believe in their heart that Christ died for them, that he rose from the dead. Yeah. Right? Confessing with their mouth, believing in their heart. All right, that's simple salvation. That's one-on-one. I mean, when you lead a person to Christ, that's part of the Romans road. That's what I use. Okay, but here's the question. Did the disciples believe that Jesus rose from the dead when they believed? <laughs> yes, the Messiah. Exactly. They believed with faith the same way the Old Testament saints would have. They had yet to see his death, burial, and resurrection. If you, if you looked at, remember when we studied and, and we, we looked at how that, um, we went through the, the um, book of Mark and we looked at very, very many sermons on that, looking at how the disciples, as they were looking for the kingdom to come, as they, they were, um, they, they wouldn't hear Jesus, but he talked about the fact he was going to die for them. They didn't understand that yet. All right, so this is where it gets really tricky. Were they Old Testament or New Testament saints? Yes. Exactly. It's all one and the same. But here's the difference. They didn't have the Holy Spirit the same as we do today. That's the only difference. That's really the only difference. They were, they were believers just like we are, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit then. The Holy Spirit of God dwelt with, with men, but he dwelt with, he dwelt with his people. And you remember how that he, there he was on the mount, and, and there his people come to the mount, and God, he, he has this covenant with them. Mosaic covenant, and there he is with them, and they go through the desert, and they had the tabernacle. They had the place of the Holy of Holies, where the Shekinah glory of God was there. Of course, he revealed that through a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. The glory of God was there with them, and we see that. But it, on rare occasions did the Holy Spirit of God actually come within an individual. Now, it did, but he, he did. I won't say it. It's he. He did, but it wasn't the same as what we have now. And so when you look at these disciples, we're seeing a transition period of time. And I'll, I'll, I, this is the honest truth. I don't completely comprehend all of it, but what I know is this. They believed. I believe they were believers. I believe that they had died prior to receiving the Holy Spirit, that they would have gone to heaven because they were believers. And Christ said a name was written in heaven. So we're looking at a situation here that they were believers, but yet they hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. Why not? It wasn't given yet. That, that day had not come yet. The same as the Old Testament believers were looking 
for the future. And when you had that day of atonement every year, it was all pointing toward the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. Those people were saved by faith. They were looking forward to a future event that had not taken place yet. Salvation, you could have said it that, well, they couldn't have been saved then. Well, no, they would have been saved by believing in and, and looking to the future of what God had promised. God had made a promise. The same way that we now, you know what, I haven't received a glorified body yet. <laughs> but one day I will. That doesn't make me any less of a believer than in the, in the future when people have that. Or people, listen, there's people in heaven right now that haven't received a glorified body yet. Did you know that? I'm not there yet either. And one day we will receive our glorified body. And so there's transitional periods that we see in, in, in time. We need to be very careful with that, not to misinterpret the word of God. God doesn't save people different today than he did in the dispensation underneath a different covenant uh, at a different time. The Adamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, um, and, and the, the Davidic covenant. He did not save people any differently. It's the way that he worked with man. It didn't change salvation then. We need to understand that. All right, so this is a transition period. We see something getting ready to happen here. Christ had laid all the groundwork for it. He had his apostles all in order. He had given them a commission. He had given a command. He had told them what they were going to do. He talked about the keys to the kingdom as far as he talked about the, uh, the, the, the church and talked about how the gates of hell will not prevail against it and all the power that was given to them, and the things that happened. And so we need to understand that there's a transition that we need to mark here. We need to mark it down. Acts is a transitional period. There were things that were happening then that are not happening today. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, a new order was established, a new age was being inaugurated. It was an inauguration that was accomplished by an extraordinary event that took place that brought signs and wonders that was a fulfillment of prophecy. And guess who it was a fulfillment of prophecy to, primarily, based on the Old Testament? The Jews. It was a fulfillment of prophecy. Of course, it is to us, too. But, I mean, they would have understood. They would have been looking for the fulfillment of this prophecy. And so during that transition period, the dead were being raised to life. Did you know that? People were coming alive that were dead. Let me ask you, is that still happening today? In the purest sense. Good job. No, it's not. I have not seen a healer today walk up to a tube and say, Lazarus, come forth. No, it doesn't happen today. During the period at that time, this transitional period, prison doors were opened and servants of God were set free. We talked about it on Sunday. Um, can God still work great miracles today? Yeah, but we don't see that happening. Uh, you know, you, you don't hear about that happening here in town. You don't hear about it happening. I don't, I've not heard of it happening anywhere. It was a transitional period of time. During that period, the sick of whom fell even under the shadow of Peter were healed. Do you know anybody whose shadow you can go under and lose that cold you had? No. What's that? Oh, I'm sorry. I was saying that Peter, people that even got under the shadow of Peter were healed. Yeah. And I said, do you know anybody that has a shadow like that today that they just get under the shadow of? Now, there's some people out there that claim to have stuff like that, but it has not been proven at all. Now, here's the thing. Can God still heal people today? Does God use healers to do it? No. No. Yeah, he uses doctors. He uses medicine. And he does use, by the power of prayer, God can heal people. I've seen it myself. I am attested to the fact that God is still powerful enough to heal people. I've seen it again. We've got people sitting here right now that we know God answers prayer. We've seen it. 
but nobody was able to, because of the shadow that they had. It was a transitional period. In that day, people were being healed. Things were happening. There were things that were taking place, and it was a fulfillment of prophecy. And you see, what's happening here in Acts chapter 2 is one of the greatest transitional records we find in Scripture. A great transition is taking place. Up till now, the Spirit of God was with God's people, but from now on, He would dwell with them. You can read that in John 14, verse 17. And on the day of Pentecost, the church was, I would, and I know there's argument on this, but I believe that the church was born on that day. We see all the pictures of taking place, all that is a fulfillment of. The, the, the church um, instituting the, the things that we have, is the things that we hold to as a church and what institutes a church, all took place there in Acts chapter 2. And it's a unique situation. And so the age of the Holy Spirit could not begin, though, until Christ ascended. How do we know that? He said so. Take your Bible. Turn to John 7, if you would. John chapter 7. Look at verse 37. Brother Harold, can you hear all right tonight? Okay. Because there are some dead spots in here. And so we're trying to adjust the, the speakers that would help with that. Look there, if you would, John chapter 7. Look at verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believed on, uh, believe on him should receive... For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Of course, there's other places we can go and look at, but this, this kind of brings it together. And it says there, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given. Christ had to be glorified. Christ had to ascend. He had to go. And, and um, so the apostles did not receive the baptism of the Spirit until after uh, their salvation for the simple reason that there was no baptism of the Spirit until the day of Pentecost. And they were saved before Pentecost. We see that. The Word of God tells us they got saved before it. There was no baptism of the Holy Spirit until that day, which is a fulfillment of prophecy, which falls in line with what we see when we see the Passover. We see the first fruits, and we see Pentecost. Uh, and all of that symbolism in the Old Testament that's being fulfilled here in the New Testament. And so that's why the baptism of the Holy Spirit came as a subsequent blessing to them is because it hadn't come. Now it has come. There had to be a beginning somewhere. That's what we're looking at. We're looking at a beginning. But since that time, the baptism of the Holy Spirit has been the blessing of all who have trusted in Christ, their personal Savior. We see that. What did Paul say if you had not received the Holy Spirit of God? Are you a believer? Are you a true Christian? What did Paul say? Anybody remember? Okay, that's, that's a different, that's different. That's the blaspheme of the Holy Spirit. All right, but, or not really. What it really is, being unforgiving would be not believing in Christ as your Savior, would be the unpardonable sin. That's not what he said. He said, if you don't have the Spirit, then you're not a child of God. And if you've, if you've not been baptized in the Spirit, then you're not a Christian. So how could that be? That leads to another point, though, which gets kind of, it kind of twists your mind a little bit. Let's go to the second point. There's a distinction that we need to make here. All right, so we're talking about transition that's taking place. There's no doubt about it. There's a distinction. It's important to distinguish between the experience of those who were already disciples of Christ before Pentecost and those that were saved on the day of Pentecost. 
In the past, I've heard people argue the fact of when does the church start. I don't see the church starting before Pentecost. When you look at it from the perspective of the people that got saved at Pentecost, what happened? When they got saved, what happened? At that, on the day of Pentecost, they received the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about the apostles right now. I'm talking about people that got saved. They were baptized. They were then added to the church. It's interesting you see that. So there's a distinction between the, the 120 that were in that upper room, you might say, and the 3,000. Now, if I were to ask you which experience is the norm for today, how would you respond to that? Well, I don't live before Pentecost. I live after Pentecost. Like the 3,000, with us, therefore, as with them, the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, they're received together. Now, this is a controversial verse, but we're going to look at it. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And I say it's controversial because the church of Christ has made it controversial, not because it's controversial to me at all. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Let's have somebody just stand and read that, if you would. Is it a volunteer? Somebody that hasn't? Go ahead, Elena. So here we see, right, right there, Peter is preaching to them. This is part of the message that he's preaching to. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, and they that gladly received his word were baptized, and that day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. It's the verse we use all the time. And verse number 42 is the continuation of what took place after that. And it's just interesting. He's telling them, this is, kind of the, this is where he's bringing it to the invitation, you might say. He's not having them raise their hand. Nothing wrong with raising people's hands, right? But he's telling them. You need to repent, all right? He's talking about repenting, being baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now, the church of Christ will tell you that your baptism is then therefore part of your salvation. That's not what this is talking about at all. Not at all. It's talking about a, a, a continuation of what happens when one truly does get saved, what's going to happen. It's a connection with. And, and there's, there's a double that you see here. Um, when he says repent and be baptized, what baptism is this talking about? <laughs> Being baptized into Christ. And then they got baptized with waters, an outward showing of what had already happened inside of their hearts. That's what's going on here. You see it happening there. If you see what happens, there's a follow-up after it. And, and, it, and it says that they would receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. All of that would happen as a result of them believing. It's almost like in baptism, it's, it's, we talked about an identification and having a ring on. and That ring doesn't make us saved any more than being baptized makes you saved. Um, there, there's so much scripture. By the way, if you just took this one verse and try to use this as a foundation for, you don't find um, it's contrary to the word of God. In other words, the interpretation, if you interpret this as being that you must be baptized in order to be saved with water, it is contrary to so much scripture that God's word contradicts itself then. And God's word never contradicts itself. And so it must not be talking about here that you have to be baptized with water in order to be saved. It, it's either A, talking about you're going to continue on and then they were baptized. You see that they did. But they believed first and then they were baptized. Believe first, and then they were baptized. It's believer's baptism. They believed first, and then they were baptized. What if they just believed and died before they got them into the water that day? 
I mean, there was over 3,000 that were getting up there. There's a trampling of people. They get run over, and they never make it to the baptismal waters. Would they go to hell? <laughs> it's silliness. I mean, it's, it's like you think about that. No, of course not. It was their faith. Remember, salvation has always been the same. From the very beginning to the very end, salvation will always be the same. It's by faith. Being accounted unto us for righteousness and, and trusting in God. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. And I've used that as an illustration, but specifically now. There he was, the thief on the cross that believed, and Christ said, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now, there is an argument to that, but I don't agree with it. They try to say, well, that's because that's under the Old Testament. Everything changed. It's a different dispensation, you see. Salvation changed all of a sudden when Christ ascended into heaven. No, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm going back to the Old Testament because we see God's salvation has always been the same. It's always been the same. It's never changed. Now, the way that God speaks to men, the way that God deals with men has changed through time. You can't argue with that. You can go to the Garden of Eden. We, you know, God doesn't come down and walk with me in the cool of the day. Even though I sing songs, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. He does right here with the Holy Spirit of God is what he does. But God physically is not here in, in walking with us. Now, then we can talk about that subject forever, too. But anyway, but t things changed when sin hit. There was a different thing that took place. There was a demic covenant that was broken by man. We see that, that things changed, okay? Um, but God's salvation since the fall of man has always been based on Jesus Christ being the atoning sacrifice, the, the blood of the lamb being shed for the, the innocent lamb being shed for the, the, the sin or guilt of man. And we see that throughout, and it's never been based on works. It's never been based on works. It's been by faith. We see that again. We see that with uh, Cain and Abel. We see it based on faith and obedience to God and trust in God um, in what God has said. And so <clears throat> i got to be careful of time here because I can get, this is a subject we can go on for a while. And I hope this is interesting to you. Because this is something that, if you haven't been faced with it yet, you will be. Um, on the subject of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. So here we see that it says that if you, Peter is telling them, repent. He baptized every one of you in the name of Christ, Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the Holy Spirit. Now here's another one for you. You ready for it? Um, turn over to the Great Commission at Matthew chapter 28. This is another one I'm going to try to trip you up with. All right, so verse number 38 of Acts chapter 2 says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. The Church of Christ will also tell you that if you've not been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, that you're not saved. You've not been baptized properly. Baptism is part of salvation. Did you all hear it in the news this past year? There was a man that was doing it wrong in that church, and he was not saying properly in the name of Jesus Christ. So all those poor folks that got baptized had to get rebaptized. What's that? No, I heard it was a, I heard it was a, a Church of Christ church. Maybe I misunderstood it. But maybe, maybe I heard it and I thought that because I know that that's what they believe. Because I've actually had, I've had this question posed to me. What name do you baptize in? I've actually had people ask me that. And I say, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There we go. Well, then that's not the right baptism. Where do you get that from, they said. I had this question. Where do you get that from? 
Right here it is in Christ's own words. Matthew chapter 28, verse number 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Right there it is. That is the reason why I baptize in this way. Because that's what Jesus Christ himself said. And so they, when you get over here and you see the name of Jesus Christ, hmm. So what's it talking about in Acts chapter 2, verse 38? Is it talking about water baptism there? No, I don't believe so at all. It's talking about spiritual baptism, being baptized in the Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ. And we're going to get to this. We're going to be talking about this as we study this and talking about the Spirit um, in the, the, the charismatic movement. They put the Holy Spirit way up here. And they, they accentuate the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit does not do that of himself at all. We're going to get to that. But here, I believe this is talking about the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God. It's not talking about, we do see water baptism that comes as a result of being born again, of being baptized with the Spirit of God. We see that that does happen in, in a couple verses later. We see that. It was an outward showing. What's that? Absolutely. It was an outward witness of what had happened already inside their heart. And so... When somebody wants to throw this at you, say, that's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God, number one. Number two, it, we baptize in the, the, exactly the way Christ said to baptize. And, and number three, baptism doesn't save you. This, it's an outward showing of what's already happened inside a person's heart. And so we see a continuation of that. All right, let's keep moving. So we see the experience of the disciples at Pentecost. I'm probably not going to get to this next point. We're going to go. This gets really crazy now. You ready? Go to Acts chapter 8. So we see the distinctions that are made, and we see the experience that the disciples at Pentecost, they got saved, and then they were baptized with the Holy Spirit of God later. They received the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God later. Then there's the experience of the disciples after Pentecost. Acts chapter 8, look at verse 14, if you would. Disciples now, followers, maybe you might say believers, maybe. Look at verse number 14. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. By the way, who had already been preaching to the Samaritans and there was a great revival that was taking place, many were being saved. If anybody remembers a deacon, our deacon should know this. Philip, that's right. Philip had been preaching. He was a deacon. He was there preaching. And when they heard back at Jerusalem that the Samaritans were getting saved, they sent Peter and John over there. Hey, what's going on? Go find out what's happening there, right? Okay, it was Philip an apostle? No. Philip was not an apostle. He was a deacon. Was Peter and John an apostle? Yes. All right, so they sent the apostles there. And look at verse 15. Who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Interesting, isn't it? That's what just happened here. Now, what was our first point? Main point of what we're looking at here, transitional period. We've got to understand that. What's happening here is a main transition that's taking place. The first giving of the Holy Spirit of God was where? At Jerusalem. Okay, there's a key word that's here that's interesting that we see here, and it, it, it's, it's a, something that should help us to understand. It was in Samaria that this is happening now. 
What was the relationship like between the Jews and the Samaritans? Not good. They were half-breeds. Um, they were a reminder of ca captivity. They were a reminder of false teaching. They had corrupted proper Jewish beliefs and followings. You might say the word of God. Not all of it was the word of God, but they still, they were corrupting the, the teachings of the Jews. Um, they, they were on, uh, it was definitely, they were looked at as second-class citizens. Um, but the question still remains, why was the Holy Spirit withheld when they believed? He says, verse 16, look at it. For as yet was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Interesting. That Greek word, as for yet, it signifies this. Something that should have happened but has not yet. Okay, that's what this is saying. That, well, why didn't they receive it? They hadn't received it. This verse is saying that Samaritans were saved, but for some peculiar reason they, had not, they hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. It hadn't occurred. So why? Once again, I'd see the word Samaria. Philip's evangelistic efforts were with the, the despised Samaritans. The hatred between the Jews and Samaritans was known. All of these Samaritans had received the Holy Spirit at the moment of, uh, um, uh, now if they had received it at the moment of salvation, perhaps it would have caused a terrible rift between the Jews and the Samaritans. Um, it might have caused a problem within the church. I don't know. It, we do know that there was definitely, there was animosity between the two. Um, once again, uh, uh, Pentecost had been a Jewish event. Church was born there at Pentecost, was made up exclusively of Jewish, I'm talking about religion now, believers. We're talking about people that had come there that were Jewish. I'm talking about everything that, 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 everything that was going on there. These people were Jews. Now, if the Samaritans had started their own Christian group, the age-long rivalry would have continued with a Jewish church repeating um, or competing against Samar Samaritan assembly, perhaps. Now, we really don't know. This is, this is surmising, perhaps. We don't know the answer to it. Let me give you another twist. You ready? There's somebody else that's mentioned here. Um, let's look at it. Um, let me find my spot here. Um, look at verse number 9. But there was a certain man called Simon, which... Before time, in the same city, used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out, their, um, out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed, whom the least of the, um, to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regarded because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorcery. But when they believed Philip's preaching, the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. All right, so we just read that. Let's jump down. Look at verse number 18. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also his power, this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perisheth with thee, because thou hast taught that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, in that matter. Now, what's he saying to him? What do you think? Let's just talk about it for a minute. What do you think he's saying? Okay, he's not qualified, maybe. Okay. 
backslidden. Yeah, he's after the money. All right. Is it possible that this man didn't just get saved? Simon himself believed also. Yeah, you're right. Because this is an argument. There's people that actually say that these Samaritans weren't really saved. And I'm doing this on purpose. Because look, look at his life. Look at how he was living. Look at what he did. They really weren't saved. Yeah, we can. So what's the bottom line? Yeah. What's that? See, that's the argument. Right. But the the apostles were before they received the Holy Spirit. (laughs) See, I believe, and that's where it's at, I believe. I believe this is a transition. And they try to claim that this is proof in point as to saying that you receive the Holy Spirit after salvation. But that didn't happen at Pentecost. Other than the 120 that had already been saved prior to. And if you look at the preponderance of the Word of God after Pentecost, if you continue to read and you continue to study, you don't see this repeated, 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 repeated. You're going to see major things that happen. You're going to see Jews. You're going to see Samaritans. What's the next big one that's going to happen after that? The Gentiles. And guess who goes and talks to the Gentiles? Peter does. Exactly. Of course, Paul is going to be the apostle of the Gentiles. When I say goes and talks to them, I'm talking about Cornelius. I'm talking about the fact of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about salvation. All right. We see a transition that's going on. We see, and so for me, the way I look at this, and I would love for you to study this and come back with an opposing opinion or something that would add to the subject. But the way I see this is this. I believe there was definitely something with the Jews and God was using that to, in a fulfillment of prophecy at Pentecost. It was all prophesied. We see then God reaching out and people that are even of the Samaritans and happening at a different time frame. I don't understand all the reason why, but it makes plausible reason to me that God did that for a reason because he was trying to avoid there being animosity, trying to keep in line the, the being um, the, the part of the same uh, church. I don't, and then you see it happening then with the Gentiles as well. We see it, it transitioning through that. Um, and, and so for me, I look at this. You can't argue with the fact that they received the Holy Spirit at this point. It says it. And to say that they weren't believers, the Word of God says they were. So you can't use that. Um, even when you take Simon as being the thing that he did, he obviously needed to repent. That all being said, there are many that say that they're a child of God that aren't. But if the word of God says you're a believer, yeah, I believe that. I hope this isn't too dry for you. This is, this is interesting for me because there, um, I, I really want to whet your appetite. I want to encourage you. And when you go and you're looking for information, don't read stuff that has been propagated by the charismatic church until you are strong in the word of God. Know the Word of God. You study the Word of God. You let the Holy Spirit of God give you, um, give you understanding of this. And so um, I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to talk more about this, but I've got to stop with that tonight. Yes, in Acts chapter 8, the Holy Spirit of God was given to the Samaritans. 
yes, the Holy Spirit of God was given to the Gentiles. And then when we see the epistles coming together, we see the church maturing, we don't see that occurring again. It doesn't happen again and again and again and again and again. We don't see that. You don't see that happening. And uh, the Apostle Paul then makes it very plain and clear, like I said at the very beginning, the Apostle Paul talks about if you don't have the Spirit of God, you are not a child of God. In, 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 in a nutshell. Yes, sir. Pentecost was never repeated. It has never been repeated. Um, and yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Amen. Amen. Which means we need to study it. And and I'm I'm trying to get you to study. I really am. Yes, ma'am. I think it's talking about the glory of God. It's a picture of God and of, um, of his holiness. But I, <coughs> there might be something more to that. Let me, let me delve into that some. Anybody else have a comment on that? Something more than? Yeah. Yeah, it could be purification. Act, I, I th immediately I thought of Isaiah chapter 6. Um, and then you think of Revelation where you've got, uh, you know, and then Paul, but still, I don't know that that's the same application as the um, cloven tongues of fire. I don't, I don't know the significance beyond the fact of his holiness, but um, the, it's, an, it's, it's a picture of the power of the Holy Spirit. And, but let me check into that. That's a, that's a good question. I don't know that I have a, a complete answer on that right now. Yes, sir. Great point. And that, that's something we just have to be careful of. And that's, that's what um, we're, we over-focus on the element of instead of actually what took place um, and why. Uh, 
Um, I'm going to do more research on that because I, I think that that's going to have some connection with Old Testament prophecy as well, and the connection's going to be there, and I'm going to look into that. Um, I don't want to say because I'm not 100% right now. So that's a great point, Becca. Thank you. It's good to have Bible study. It's good to study, and um, I hope I'm, I'm getting you to think some. Um, when the questions arise, we ought to have answers as much as possible, and if we don't, then we need to study. So I'm going to look into it this week. All right, let's go ahead and get our... our um, um, prayer lists out if you would. Being a uh, prayer for the election that's coming up. Pray for our Supreme Court justices that we will um, see um, ones that would stand for life and uh, for, for the truth. You're not sure how to vote on that. Like I said, there's some pages back here, go ahead and grab those that will tell you where they, they stand um, and who supports who. Um, be in prayer about that, though, if you would.